0: My name is Ali, I'm a doctor and YouTuber. I'm Taymor, I'm a data scientist and writer, and you're listening to Not Overthinking, the weekly podcast where we think about happiness, creativity, and the human condition. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. Taymor, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right, mate. How are you? Yeah, uh, not bad. Thanks for asking. So what are we what are we talking about this week, Ollie? So this week, I thought we'd talk about uh, your recent rejection. Oh man, which one? <laughs> so this is the one where you flew to California and applied to this startup thing. So do you oh, want to yeah. give us a bit of background about that? Yeah, sure.
1: So I, I was in California for the past week or so. Uh, I flew out there. My, my co-founder and I, we applied for this sort of startup program where, you know, if they like you, they'll sort of invest in you and stuff. We applied for this program. Um, they wanted to interview us So my, my co-founder was already out there I flew out there last week You know, we'd spent some time preparing for this thing We had the interview And it didn't go great And they didn't really like us And we got a very nice rejection email uh, Later that day um,
0: So h- h- how did that make you feel Getting that
1: rejection email? So I think it was a bit weird Because I think after after the interview We, we both kind of knew that like It didn't feel like it went well Like we didn't really have the kind of rapport With the interviewers that we would have liked uh, It didn't really seem like they we were that convinced that the market for our idea is big enough uh, for them to for it to be like an interesting opportunity for them um, so we kind of knew after the interview that like okay that didn't go great they didn't really like it and so I think we were kind of expecting it so I think that sort of affected how we felt afterwards so yeah I, after the interview we, we both kind of we didn't feel I wouldn't say we felt sad we definitely felt a bit kind of bummed out and uh, yeah, like a
0: general feeling of melancholy right yeah there. yeah
1: it's, it, it was more like melancholy uh, that we had yeah, The whole week had been building up to this moment. Didn't go great. Uh, We we watched Godzilla right after the interview (laughs) uh, (laughs) because we just wanted something to take our minds off of it (laughs) while we waited for the decision. and then yeah we got the sort of rejection email and we were kind of expecting it but yeah i think melancholy probably sums it up about right
0: okay and how does this relate to other or rather i suppose have you have you had other uh, have you had other rejection experiences in your life that you can you can kind of draw a parallel with gosh or honestly not really <laughs> um no no, no there have definitely been plenty
1: like i remember back when i was uh back in second year when i was on the internship hype and i wanted to do like these banking internships and stuff i think i got one in the end but yeah i got rejected from like loads of those um and i think that
0: actually felt pretty bad i think it felt bad going yeah yeah, banking internship spring week rejection yeah
1: that kind of stuff that felt quite bad back in second year
0: okay why did it feel bad
1: um and in what way and in what
0: way did it feel bad this
1: this was a while ago i think i think part of why that felt bad was because like loads of people around me were also applying to these things and plenty of people were also like getting into these things Mm. and so i think part of why that felt bad was because of sort of comparing myself to other people and it's like oh man i know this person who like got got this internship that i didn't get or whatever Uh, i think part of it is also just like uh yeah i think that was the first sort of taste of real rejection that i had i think before that it was it was sort of plain sailing i've sort of gotten quite fortunate in most things that i tried to do and then yeah that was the first time i was like oh okay cool
0: like (laughs) (laughs) i suppose that's what it feels like yeah (laughs) being rejected screw me i guess
1: yeah (laughs) Um, so yeah that felt quite bad
0: back then you kind of
1: i think back then i relied on external things for to to kind of get my self-worth and my sort of identity and so i think back then i kind of felt like oh man i can't get these internships like what is the point you know (laughs) you know this kind of thing whereas i thought the interesting thing about the the recent rejection we got for our company was that you know we definitely had this feeling of melancholy um then we were kind of bummed out but we weren't fundamentally like affected by it or like too saddened by it because i think yeah i think like going into this we we kind of had the approach of like like we know we know we're like on solid ground right now we're we're both pretty convinced that this is like a solid thing um and some people are going to get it and some people aren't and some people are going to get it right now and some people might get it you know a year down the line or whatever um And so I think we sort of, yeah, our our feelings about this endeavor that we're trying to do are much more internally generated. Uh, And so even if some people you know, who might be like prestigious or famous or whatever, even if these kinds of people don't necessarily get it, it doesn't really affect like what we're going to do. I thought it was quite interesting that when we told some people about this rejection, uh, you know, friends, family, whatever, most of them took it a lot more seriously than we did. A lot Mm -hmm. of them were like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like, what are you going to do now? Are you going to carry on with the company? Um, And that felt very strange because i think internally our compasses were just sort of aligned on what we were going to do and this was like yeah wasn't ideal uh but it didn't fundamentally change the direction of anything um that wasn't really yeah it, it didn't affect us in that way whereas i think back in second year for example if we were like trying to start a company if we pitched it to like a few people and they didn't really get it then we would have immediately been like oh man all these like people who are like experienced in the field they don't get it and so there's probably nothing there and screw us and let's just quit and yeah
0: okay kind of so what you're saying is that back in the day when you're your personal identity was tied up in these external measures of success for example number of spring week internships that you got in second year then a rejection of that sort like really struck you to your core and made you feel a lot more a lot more sad than it currently does because right now you know i'm sure your, your identity is tied up in a few different things but when it comes to this company in particular your internal drive to keep it going is so strong that if you get a few rejections along the way, you don't really care.
1: Yeah, I think there's actually, I think there's two things going on. I I, I like what you're saying about the sort of, uh, the sense of identity. And I think we should definitely come back to that. But also, I think it's, uh, I think previously, the way I used to sort of model the world was almost kind of statistically. So I'd sort of, you know, <laughs> go, going into anything, I'd sort of, uh, you know, look at like the odds of like, let's say I'm trying to start a company. I'd look at the odds and say, oh man, like, you know, only one in a hundred startups succeeds or whatever. And I'd like take that as a meaningful number or something and then let's say I spoke to someone about my idea or something and they didn't like it then I, then in my head I would have thought oh man this person didn't like it and this person knows what they're talking about therefore my chances of success are now like lower because of that and that kind of thing Okay, and so like you know getting rejected by you know prestigious companies or whatever that used to have an effect on me because it was like oh man prestigious person or company thinks I'm worthless <laughs> therefore I'm <laughs> more I'm more likely to be worthless <laughs> whereas I think one of the biggest shifts I've made um, in my own sort of thinking in the past year or two is that I've stopped thinking sort of statistically in terms of these kinds of things. And I've started thinking more analytically in terms of building up my own model of the world, my own worldview. Uh, and obviously like taking taking data into, in, into account. So when, for example, someone says, uh, I'm not convinced by your idea because of these reasons, definitely like understand what they're saying definitely see what those reasons are and and where where previously i would have just looked at the surface and seen okay knowledgeable or prestigious person thinks my idea is bad therefore it's bad now i sort of think more like okay why did they think it was bad what do i think about that reason is that uh, do we think that's like a valid reason does that like contradict anything we already know or you know how does that change how we should see the world uh and so with this particular rejection they gave us some feedback the feedback made total sense and yeah it's something where i sort of of aware of it's something we're hoping will address further down the line was still pretty early on and so i think fundamentally we weren't put off by the fact that prestigious people turned us down because we sort of understood why and it, it was sort of still pretty aligned with our plans
0: okay so, so you're kind of saying that it's now it's now more about why they did the rejecting rather than who did the rejecting
1: yeah whereas previously i would have yeah i would have focused more a lot more on the who and sort of wait yeah uh, my opinions on things would be like a weighted a weighted average 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 of opinions other people had on these things weighted according to like how how like prestigious this person was okay you know whereas now it's more like okay lots of people are going to say lots of things i have to like build up my own worldview and have conviction in that
0: okay so this kind of reminds me of a parallel in the in the dating world um a world that i am uh, clearly intimately familiar with. <laughs> that was a joke, by the way, <laughs> for anyone anyone listening. Um, and the parallel is that uh, if you were to Google how to deal with rejection, uh, <laughs> hypothetically speaking, you'd probably come across a fair few articles and kind of advice videos and things like that saying that, you know, when it comes to asking someone now if they reject you, it's often not really about you. It's often more about the circumstances. Maybe they're not open to a relationship right now. Maybe, you know, th- they're in a relationship. Maybe, th- maybe they just want weren't interested for various reasons, and yeah, sure, fine. Maybe it was because they didn't particularly like you, but it kind of goes more from it. The, this advice tries to make us think of it less in terms of this person rejected me, and more in terms of why might this person have 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 rejected me, and is there anything I can do about that, or, or, and is there anything I want to do about that? So, for example, if they rejected me for purely re- you know you know because because they live in Malaysia and I live in the UK and they have no plans to move, then yeah, fair enough. <laughs> There's not really much I can do about that. If they rejected me because you know they they're not physically attracted to me. Me, then okay perhaps I can maybe do something about that but perhaps not perhaps I don't even want to and I'm more nuanced about why rather than just about the fact that you are rejected so I think it's very easy to fixate on oh my god I got rejected and think less about the reasons for that
1: yeah for sure I think it's, it's the reasons that are important and in, in like so many things the reasons are even like out of your control I'd say probably in like most things the reasons are not like you or anything and um, in, in this case for us I think like the reasons uh, yeah I think they're mostly like within our control This sort of makes sense but in other realms like dating or whatever yeah, a lot of the time it's not worth trying to dig into the reasons behind these things so that's me what uh what about you what, what was the last rejection you had the last rejection i had let's start with non-romantic and then
0: uh <laughs> then we'll get on the yeah. <laughs> onto the juicy stuff yeah this might be our longest podcast ever <laughs> <laughs> very good so the last um last non-romantic rejection i had damn i've really got to think far back uh, Okay, so the one the one that comes to mind is that a few years ago, I applied to go to Harvard for this one year um, kind of uh, year abroad program that was offered to maybe a handful of students at my college. And it was quite a prestigious thing and you had to apply for it and you had to write this long ass application letter about why you would benefit from this sort of experience. Uh, the angle I went down was that, hey, I'm a medical student. I enjoy coding on the side. I make these websites and stuff. I've got this business running and I'd really like to expand my horizons by maybe, you know tapping into the Harvard MIT kind of tech, technological syndicate over there probably not using those words and i thought that i maybe might have a pretty reasonable chance of of getting this and then i got a a physical uh like a, a thing through the post from from the dean of the college uh probably just one of those standard like uh Ooh, we Tem- to inform you <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> thank you so much for replying. I'm sorry to have to say that on on the on this occasion you were unsuccessful. Oh, that's classic. Yeah, occasion, it's like yeah. classic. Uh, <laughs> there's no way there's any other occasion because it was a one year only thing. Um, so that was the one that immediately comes to mind in terms of being rejected from something that I really wanted to.
1: So it sounds like you were you're sort of semi-expecting to get that. And it, I know it'll sound really bad if you
0: say yeah, yeah, I was expected to get that. But it sounds like you were sort okay, of semi-expecting no, so to get that. So I wouldn't say I was semi-expecting to get that. Uh, I thought I had a reasonable chance of getting that and I thought the angle that i i went with i.e. either medical plus tech angle would have worked um what well, was an interesting angle um clearly it wasn't and but and like if i didn't think i had an interesting angle i may not have even applied but yeah no so that that was a rejection but i mean at the time i don't i don't remember it even affecting me that much and i think the reason why that was is because i think i've in- internalized this kind of stoicism concept of like even then I had internalized this idea that okay it is what it is let's move on with our lives and there's very there's very little point in Dwelling on things like rejection, you learn what you can from them, and then you move on because it doesn't do anyone any good to dwell on it.
1: Yeah, sure. That, dwelling on it is one thing, but like, how did you feel when you got that? Was it kind of like melancholy? Was it more? Was it like more negative than that?
0: um I think it, it was. It was semi melancholy for maybe about thirty seconds. I was like, oh damn. Uh, that's a shame, but uh, but again, because I hadn't heard back from them for so long, I just kind of uh, I I I'd, I'd kind of forgotten I'd even applied to the thing. Like it it wasn't playing any part in my kind of day to day happiness, day to day model of the world. And so when I got rejected from it, I was like, oh, okay, cool, fair enough. Uh, it was it was kind of disappointing a little bit, but then you know it's <laughs> a case of okay, great, let's move on. Yeah, sure. Okay, what about romantic rejections? Oh man, got plenty of those. So the one that I that that comes most to mind was a few a few years ago. Um, I had a crush on a friend of mine and uh over the course of a few months i was like okay maybe there's a maybe there's a vague possibility that this could this could go somewhere we were we were getting on very well and always always quite good friends so then at at one point i decided that okay i'm just gonna write her a letter and say that like i like you you wrote her a letter yeah yeah it was a physical letter did she live halfway across the world and this was the 1800s Very good. Uh no, but I think a letter is a is a reasonable form of communication for this sort of thing. And actually in in hindsight I'd probably do a similar a similar thing. Perhaps not in physical letter, perhaps just over message, but I'm a big fan of not doing these things in person. Why? <laughs> right, because basically especially if you're if you're like good friends with someone and especially if they're the sort of person who's who who's just like really nice and like if they were to reject you they would feel super 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 bad about it yeah i don't want to put any undue pressure on them to uh, be, because like either they like me or they don't and so the the medium by which i convey my interest to them is going to be completely irrelevant if it's if they actually like me and i send them a text saying i like you they're going to be like oh my god i like you back right yeah if they don't and i send them a text saying i like you they've got they've got lots of time and space to figure out how they're going to respond to this in a a nice way to not hurt my feelings and to maybe discuss it with their like female friends like oh my god he just told me he likes me I don't know what to do and then try and get their perspective and and all this stuff essentially giving them some time to respond and I think that is the right thing to do in those circumstances where if I just go up to them in person and be like look uh, Jane uh, uh, (laughs) would you like to go with me sometime or however you might phrase that in person I can't imagine phrasing that in person then it puts her on the spot and it means that she has to uh, kind of uh, manage her kind of emotions her facial expressions and try and kind of let me down nicely if she doesn't like me in a way that doesn't impact our friendship and there's all these different pressures that are applied to it when you're doing it in person which is why I'm a huge huge advocate for doing this this sort of stuff in a medium that gives them enough time to to, to respond to it. That's really interesting. I think that, that makes that makes perfect sense man. I think that's interesting
1: because it's like it definitely goes against the accepted wisdom in these things which is that you know you should do these things in person and all this kind of like really old school stuff about like you know you gotta be like a real man and you know all this kind of stuff and like do it in person because that's like the that's what real men yeah, mm. do all, all this kind of yeah deeply problematic very old school thinking uh whereas like what you're saying definitely makes sense so i I'd be, yeah i'd be curious if there's anyone who is very much in the in the other camp of like no this should absolutely be done in person i'd be curious to hear what they think but it it sounds like what you're saying makes sense
0: i mean yeah but yeah <laughs> uh, so like i've i've polled a lot of people i know about this sort of thing um i'm especially curious to ask girls that you know if if a friend were to say that they liked Few, but you did feel the same way about them would you rather they do it in person or would you rather they do it over text and 100 of them say i'd much rather they do it over text because it, it gives me it gives me time to respond oh nice i think the in person is probably more optimal for circumstances in which the very fact that you're asking them you know leads them to say yes so for example if you don't know someone very well at all asking them on a date in person is probably like oh yeah that's a very confident behavior yeah sure why not
1: yeah 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 that makes more sense
0: yeah whereas if it's you know a good friendship that you're trying not to you know crash and burn via this this confession yeah <laughs> it's all about It's all about the medium that gives them time. All right, so back to the story. Back to the story. (laughs) Did it crash and burn? (laughs) Yeah. Oh. So that completely crashed and burned, but like she so, was really nice about it. The friendship? Well, no, the 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 confession crashed and burned. Oh, okay, yeah. The yeah, friendship
1: yeah. stayed great. So, what did she? How did she respond? How did, how did?
0: Um, she took ages to respond, and then she sent me a text being like, "Hey, you know, we should talk about this in person." Um, but I just wanted to let you know, you know, thank you for telling me, blah blah blah. It's a nice nicest thing anyone said to me, blah blah blah. I'm 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 really sorry. I don't feel the words. Feel the same way. Um, yeah, I'll I'll will talk to you about this definitely properly. But yeah, I just wanted to let you know. Sounds uh, pretty nice. Yeah, it was just like super nice, and then we just didn't really mention it. At all for the next like two years. So you didn't talk about it in person. No, we didn't talk about it in person. That's really funny because I I think in those circumstances, like from from all the various opinion polls I've I've conducted on on this particular (laughs) issue, it seems like you (laughs) gov It's it's, it seems like a big fear of of people like regardless of whether you're the boy or the girl or the boy boy or the girl whatever in this situation regardless of which party you are there's all there's always that fear of I don't want to make things awkward Mm. and I think when you're the party who has been rejected. The onus is on you to not make it awkward because the other person is going to want to keep things as normal as they have been. And then if you're weird about it, then it becomes weird. Whereas if you, if you are normal about it and genuinely are okay with it, then things are fine. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So I mean, how how did friends. you feel when she, te- when you got this text? It was a major feeling of relief. <laughs> relief? Yeah, it was It what? was full on relief. There was there was almost no disappointment there because I, can't, I kind of knew what the answer would be. Like, because when you're going to tell someone that you like them, you probably, that's probably not the first idea they've had in their mind. Like, I'd, I'd told a couple of other people that I liked this person and I was 98% sure that it that, that was going to get back to her and that she hadn't addressed this. Oh. I, I was also kind of vaguely flirting in our interactions and it was semi-reciprocated but not in like a sort of, you know... <laughs> a (laughs) if it was someone who were genuinely interested in me in in me sort of way so I'd already had maybe like 95% percent sure that she didn't like me back but I still had to do it anyway because this is the sort of advice that people come to me for when asking about relationships and my advice always, you know just tell them what do you have to lose I was like you know what what do I have to lose nothing I might as well you know close this chapter of my life and and, and move on whereas prior to that point it was always a little bit of a you know like an imperfect cadence where it's like it's not quite resolved yet (laughs) (laughs) cheeky cheeky Theory, theory of music there, yeah okay that's cool so that was probably the biggest sort of romantic rejection you had know um, no it's <laughs> 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 well <laughs> I can count count all the way back so I think the problem the, the biggest one for me was when I was in first year and uh, I already fed fell head over heels in love in love in inverted commas with this girl who I'd met that year um, and she was like amazing in every way and I really liked her and I thought we'd get on and we were really good friends and then uh, I kind of I was sort of vaguely hinting throughout the whole of first term that i i liked her and she wasn't really giving anything back and then at one point i was like okay you know what uh, maybe i'm not making it obvious enough <laughs> and then i wait you sent her a letter no no, no. <laughs> this, this was before i had this uh, ah pre pre-enlightenment <laughs> exactly, <100%. laughs> the dark ages yeah, yeah. <laughs> this was when i, when I was still talk- all about doing things in person uh so i just kind of I, th- I think the way i did it was i made some kind of joke about us getting married or something <laughs> Sounds sounds super- wow <laughs> Super cringe right now, and she was like, "Oh, Ali, that's so cute," but I really think of you as a brother. Oh, <laughs> like for real? Like, yeah. Oh man. And then apparently everyone else found out about this, and then uh, you know a, a, a couple years later, I was ch- chatting to some friends, and they were like, "Yeah, she totally brothers owned you." Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> So that, that, that was a huge rejection. Um, I took it quite, quite personally. Really? Yeah. So you, how did you feel? More than melancholy? Yeah, far more than melancholy. Because like at the, at the time, like my whole happiness was dependent on this person. Wow. And, it, and it was like, it's, it's a feeling I've, I've never, I've never experienced since or before then. Like there was the, the only occasion in my life where I was like, so, I don't know, hormonal about someone that like, you know, if I would, if I would see her and sort of walking to lectures or something and have a brief chat that would I'd have a spring in my step for the rest of the day. Wow! Yeah, or like you know, if uh, if I felt that she was a kind of uh, didn't didn't make eye contact when we were kind of sitting a few rows apart from from in 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 a lecture theatre, I'd start overanalyzing. Oh my god, wasn't she like me? Have I have I done anything wrong? Has she found out? (laughs) You know, whatever. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) we've all been there. (laughs) That was probably the biggest reject- personal rejection, I think. How long
1: did you feel sad about that for? Did you d- dwell on this, etc.?
0: Um, I didn't dwell on it that much. I think I felt bad about it for like a week. A week? Yeah, probably felt bad about it for a week. But like, uh, we were still good friends and I was like, okay, cool, fair enough. Brothers, and I, uh, brother uh, and sister. <laughs> brother, brother and sister, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of, uh, I, I think the way I rationalized it was like, okay, maybe she'll change her mind. <laughs> really? So I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm quite content to play the long game. You know, we were quite good friends anyway so i was like okay even if this doesn't actually go anywhere i still want this friendship to stay a thing right so i was trying trying actively hard to not make it weird how
1: i mean what what was your takeaway from this did you like start thinking about okay why might she have rejected me how could i like improve in those
0: ways so that i'll win her love or whatever like uh, yeah, partly actually, um, the, the, this sort of inward reflection happened kind of a few weeks to months later, rather than in the moment, cause in, in the moment you're in the middle of term, you've got stuff to be dealing with. Yeah. I, th- that wasn't really the time for me to ha- start having this existentialist yeah. sort of self-analytical thing. But then, yeah, over the next few weeks to months, I was, I really started thinking about, um, whether I was the sort of person that a girl like her would be interested in. Interesting. Um, so one important takeaway from that I, th- I, th- I think again through browsing the internet and stuff was the general uh, general advice that you should definitely take care of your body you should definitely be working out because even though you, you know the the traditional teaching on this is that looks aren't everything you know obviously it helps to be physically attractive yeah and you can't do much about your face but you can do things about for example the way you dress and uh, you know having some semblance of muscles rather, rather than being tubby or really really skinny you know st- stuff like that traditional uh, notions of masculine attractiveness and right. I was like so I, I kind of took took that away from that. So then you started hitting the gym regularly and now you're ripped. Uh, well, that was that was kind of the theory. I think I started hitting the gym a few times a week for about 3 or 4 weeks. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> and now I don't really go to the gym anymore. <laughs> but I'm going to start once I do that thing that thing that we referenced in the one of the previous episodes where I give my housemate 500 quid. Oh yeah, of and course, which sure you haven't done yet. We said you yet. would do. Yeah, I'm 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 planning to.
1: Maybe we need to make another money bet where you give me money if you don't end up giving <laughs> Molly money. <laughs>
0: yeah like actually this is this absolutely has to happen like we we were hanging out with some friends earlier today and one of them is like super hench now and he was like he he was uh suggesting some ways that i might actually enjoy going to the gym now because i think i think the key is to work it into your daily routine rather than to have it as like a, i have to go to the gym so it's very easy to go to the gym after work so i'm just gonna start doing that i will, I will commit to it i promise <laughs> three times a week <laughs> classic but yeah uh, like apart apart from the physical thing um over the next sort of weeks to months after that rejection i will i was also looking into this stuff. And I'd, I'd also read a few, you know, the, the classic books that guys like to read about, you know, how to get girls and stuff. And, uh, and the classic theory about this was that, you know, it's all about, it's all about having a good sense of humor and girls are attracted to charisma and confidence. And at the time, I wasn't that charismatic or confident. So I think at I... At the time? Well, <laughs> come on. I think I'm pretty, I, I think I'm pretty confident these days when it comes to non-romantic prospects. Um, but yeah, so then I, I I think that was when I discovered the book Charisma on Command. That was, that was the year and started like reading more more about like what charisma means and what what it means to be funny and what it means to be confident and, and stuff like that and I, I i actually think that stuff really helped me over over the long term okay so
1: you took some like positive you, you were sad for like a week and at some point you had like a think about this and you took some positive things away about how to improve yourself was it was Thing to do, like it definitely seems like a net positive to try and improve yourself and pick yourself back up after a rejection like that. But it seems like the wrong mental model of things where it's like, okay, girl rejected me for XYZ reasons, I'm now going to improve myself in XYZ ways, and (laughs) then she'll love me, you know.
0: Then I'm 2X and Y plus 1 and Z plus
1: 4. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that seems like the wrong mental model, even though it's probably net positive to like try and improve yourself after that. Yeah,
0: I agree. It's probably suboptimal. I think the optimum (laughs) mental model for this is to think of uh dating not as a way to convince someone that uh, d- d- to think of dating not as a way to convince them to like you but more as a way of just establishing whether your personalities and vibes click enough that you'll you'll get on essentially yeah so being fully okay with who you are but and and recognizing that you're trying to find someone who also likes that but then there is the other side as you said of the fact that it is a net positive to be in shape it is a net positive to be funnier or more charismatic like no one is going to say that oh actually i prefer a guy who's less funny or I prefer, <laughs> I prefer a guy who's more out of shape like it's it's a universal good <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Unless anyone has any uh, different experiences of that, please do let us know. I suppose there is a <laughs> there is someone out there for everyone.
1: Um, yeah, that, that's that's pretty interesting. I think one of one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't put myself out there romantically at university. Oh, interesting. All right, <laughs> what do you mean by that? Like I. I've had plenty of crushes on plenty of girls and like, yeah, I have like, <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah. I have like crushes all the time, but I honestly doing most of university, the thought to do anything about it didn't even cross my mind. <laughs> like it's thinking back, it's, it's ridiculous <laughs> that I sort of thought that way, but sort of, <clears throat> you know, if I sort of had a crush on someone, I would just kind of have a crush on them and, and not even think about doing anything about it. <laughs> not even think about like awesome out on a date yeah. or whatever, you know, it's more like admiring them from afar admiring the profile or like we might sort of be sort of
0: friends or acquaintances or something okay. um, But uh, yeah. so kind of like the crush you had on uh, uh on Emma Watson back in the day. It just wouldn't occur to you to actually do anything about it <laughs> short of stalking a Wikipedia article.
1: Actually, I, th- I probably did more about my crush on Emma Watson. Than I, I remember
0: like, in year, in this, it was like the summer after, all right, let me set the scene. Summer after year eight. Year <laughs> I, eight, wow. That's when you were 13. Yes, I and had. She's also probably like 14. <laughs> okay. I had Jackal to do all summer. What I did was, I watched all of Friends. I binged on, what, 10
1: seasons or something of your Friends. Um, I hope you realize Emma Watson's not in Friends. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, I realized that okay cool and then I felt really empty inside because I just finished a TV show yeah and I also felt like oh man they have like a really cool group of friends I wonder if I'll ever have that you know that kind of thing like oh my life is bad compared to them yeah okay (laughs) and so I felt really empty and then I somehow got back into Harry Potter or something and sort of got obsessed with Emma Watson and stalked to Wikipedia and stuff like that Um, and then I I started thinking of ways that like we might bump into, into each other so I think I think she was living in Oxford at the time or something and I sort of imagined that you know, I'd go to Oxford, I'd sort of be punting with my friends or something. Um, and then you know, maybe we'd ride to each other, <laughs> you know, all this kind of stuff. Wow. So,
0: yeah, I'd probably. <laughs> so, you imagined a future with Emma Watson, and yet you didn't imagine the future with, for example, the girl you had a crush on who was in your college in the same year as you. That's exactly right. <laughs> um but yeah
1: look i I just didn't do anything about crushes at university i'm not sure why that is um maybe it's like the cultural background like you know from like a pakistani sort of muslim family it's not really the norm like nowhere in the family law that you hear about all all through your life is there like you know oh yeah know i had a crush on that girl and then i asked her out and like yeah whatever that's not part of the family law that's not part of like the norm i think um, and so I think for that reason, it didn't really occur to me. But I think also a big part of it was that I was just like deeply, deeply terrified about getting rejected by mm-hmm. someone romantically. Interesting. I think... Has that changed? I think that has changed. I think like since graduating, I've kind of
0: changed tack. Okay. <laughs> when you've realized that actually, oh crap, I don't have this pool of, you know, intelligent attractive girls anymore, <laughs> potentially. Uh,
1: yeah. Potentially go for or? I, I don't know. It's not so much that. I think it's, it's more just that, yeah, it's kind of what you were saying about like Like, what do I have to lose? I mean, there seems to be an awful lot to gain and not much to lose apart from feeling a bit sad that someone rejected you, you know? And I think now my sort of, my mental model for these things is not really like, are this person who I am attracted to rejected me? Therefore I'm worthless or or whatever. It's more that, okay, they rejected me. I'll definitely feel sad about it. I'll definitely probably feel more than melancholy about it for, you know, maybe a day or something. But I don't, yeah, I think, yeah, I think it comes back to like having my own like internal for. Things and not relying on like external things to uh, to sort of yeah base my self worth on or whatever. If okay, that makes
0: so so this kind of comes back to our, our, our thing that we mentioned right at the start about uh, diversifying your identity and like this is the, the classic advice I give to people who are like how 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 do I how, how do I deal with getting bad results in my exams? And the only reason people feel bad about getting bad results in exams is if their identity is to some extent tied to that external metric of success, i.e. the results they get in their exam. Like I remember when we were uh, when I was in year like seven to nine um my position in the school in entry was was rank one and so every year it became like a massive huge deal for me that my whole identify uh, my whole identity is wrapped around this thing of being top of the year group and so you know towards the exam i would i would work really 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 hard and just tie up my whole my whole thing in this and had i not come top of the year group in year seven eight or nine i would have completely devastated and therefore and wow. that is a, th- the sort of feeling i imagine people get when for example you miss a an offer because you didn't get the grades or you were aiming for i don't know all a stars but you be missed out or or whatever if you you, like if your identity is that deeply tied within that you know that academic Thing and actually, I found with a lot of my medic friends when we were in first year, especially especially the ones who were, you know, th- for, for for the most part, they were all very very like high achievers at school, and so it was a really big deal for everyone to do well in the first year exams. To the point that people had, ended up kind of having mental breakdowns, having mental he- mental health issues and stuff because they were chasing that thing of getting a first because that was like the metric that their whole identity was based around because they didn't really have anything other than I am quotes I am intelligent and therefore I need to get good grades end quote. Um, and I think over time we've all developed. More more sources of our own identity so i think the ideal is to have it purely internally generated like i don't need any external measures to be to you know to have my identity sorted to, to be happy i think that's probably an ideal that we all can strive for but very few of us actually attain i think a more practical strategy is to diversify your identity this is something that mark manson talks about in a very good article that we'll link in the show notes below um and having different things that you're like, yeah, you know what? Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, who, who cares if I didn't get that first class in the exams? At least I still, you know, <laughs> have a decent group of friends and enjoy my life. And at least I'm still good at the guitar or whatever. And that's a semi-problematic way of looking at it. But I think it's better than purely focusing on one individual uh, external metric. Yeah, I think that's spot on. I think, yeah, I think early on, like in school and stuff, it's rare.
1: Well, school is just like a massive part of your life. And so I think a lot of people who are quite academic- yeah, your sort of academic achievement tends to be a huge part of your identity. And that's why it sort of feels bad to do poorly academically uh, if that's like a really big deal for you. Um, yeah, I think the, look, the, the ideal, I think, is definitely not to rely on external things or your identity. But yeah, as you say, I think it's definitely better to to have more and different things, um, different external things that you can rely on so that if any one of them isn't going well at any particular point in time, you don't feel too bad about it. Yeah, um, And I think there was a real turning point for me in third year. I can't remember why this came about, but I think yeah, there was, I think before, before this point, my identity was quite heavily tied up in external things. Um, I don't know how to I can't remember ex- exactly what those things were, or how diversified it was, but it was sort of tied up in, in various external things. And I kind of realized that to some extent I'd been living my whole life sort of on the assumption that people will only care about me if I have like external measures of some, some success or something. Um, and I don't, I, I mean, people in a loose sense, like I don't think, yeah, I, I never felt like, you know my family will only only love me if I do well or anything it wasn't like that it was more people a bit more widely than like family um and then I had a turning point in third year when I can't remember why or how but I think I think I was reading some article online about like how to love yourself uh not how to love not how to love yourself I think that was a different day but I think I, re- I read something about how all it really matters in in life to have is like a few people or just like one person who sort of loves you unconditionally like a friend a friend who loves you unconditionally unconditionally and i kind of realized that actually i do have a friend like that um this was in 30 at university um and that kind of sort of yeah i kind of thought actually yeah even if like i had literally nothing else in life this <laughs> this this friend would still sort of oh love me for who i am etc etc oh that's nice. and that that kind of was a real real good turning point for me and since then i've kind of changed my outlook on on, on this quite a bit okay
0: oh well that's very uh heartwarming story thank you um <laughs> so should we uh wrap up so we've we've sort of talked a bit about rejection and i suppose i always like to end with a few kind of practical life hacks on how to live a better life hashtag um and i suppose what we've said is that uh, partly dealing with re- rejection is a case of taking uh, away lessons from it and then moving on and not dwelling on it we've said partly it's about recognizing why you were rejected and then thinking analytically about what if anything you can do about those or that you're inclined to do about those and thirdly a big part of the sting of rejection is when our identity is tied up in the thing that we are being rejected from uh so i suppose academics is the most clear example for for both of us and for a lot of listeners to this podcast um and the solution there is to diversify your identity into lots of different things that give you sources of self-esteem but ultimately realize that actually if your self-esteem is internally generated that is obviously you know the ideal to strive for
1: yeah i think uh looking back on what we've been talking about i think i did a lot of rambling at the start of this podcast to arrive at, at uh, to arrive at an articulation of one idea that i've been trying to sort of think about and articulate for a while which is that previously my sort of worldview was the weighted sum of other people's worldviews and i've sort of a big shift in my life for the past like year or two has been moving towards away from this like weighted sum of other people's worldviews towards a a sort of construction of
0: my own worldview
1: um and that's yeah, I think that's been like a huge shift in
0: my thinking. And so, should we end with a insight or funny thing of the week? Okay, so I've got insight of the week. Um, this I've I came, ac- I, I came across this in a podcast, and when I heard it, I was I was like, I, you know, I was like, oh my god! Like I was actually like I was I was driving the car, and I, I I genuinely kind of gasped at how legit this phrase was. All right, and this is a quote by Rudyard Kipling, apparently, and this sort of ties in with what we were discussing in a previous episode about uh, consistency and getting stuff done. One of my favorite topics. And this quote went as follows. It said that... if you want something and don't get it, then there are only two reasons for that. Either you didn't want it enough or you tried to negotiate on the price. And when I heard that, I was like, oh my God, that's so legit. One second. Have a think. Either you didn't want it enough or you wanted to negotiate on the price.
1: Oh, or like you weren't willing to pay the right price.
0: Um And when I heard that, I was like this, I, I immediately fit that quote to almost every struggle I've ever had in my life as, as being either a case of I don't want it enough or a case of not being willing to negotiate on price. So for example, like case in point, th- thing, things like going to the gym, I've often kind of wondered whether you know why am i not hench right now <laughs> and, the, <laughs> <laughs> and the answer is i i to an extent don't really want it enough like i don't really have a, a defined goal in mind and if i did i'm genuine absolutely not willing to pay the price required to get there which sort of means I don't really want it enough. So having that particular mental model means that now whenever I think I want something but don't get it, I actually I actually think, no, no, no. <laughs> right, wh- what's what's the problem here? Do I actually not want this enough or am I not willing to pay the price? And then in either way, that gives me some good information about myself and it means I can target one of those two avenues if I actually do want to work towards this thing. So I thought that was an interesting insight that I, I came across this week. All right. Well, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Please feel free to get in touch with us. Hi at notoverthinking.com. Um if you're on an Apple device of any description, please do leave us a review in the itunes store it really helps preferably a um, a decent review <laughs> we, we, we we've got lots of nice ones but we, we we have a few kind of mean ones which are always entertaining to read as well but yeah thanks very much for listening. yeah just just on the yeah. top of reviews
1: thanks thanks a lot to everyone who's left really nice reviews uh it genuinely is like really heartwarming
0: to read these things um yeah it means a lot so thanks to everyone who did that yeah. thanks for listening and we'll see you next week
1: Bye bye